a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today's topic is the idea that we all have, which is so important, which is that we're to love God. And the idea that we're taught, which is that God loves us. Many people have had firsthand experience with this and understand it deeply. Others, maybe not quite so much. I wanted to start off with one of the earliest scriptural pronouncements on this issue, which we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Quote, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Close quote. This is fascinating because it's not a suggestion. It says, do it. You shall love God. And it doesn't say, try really hard. It says, you shall. And it doesn't say, a lot, it says, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That is pretty significant. You might say, well, that's just the Old Testament. There are a lot of things in the Old Testament we don't quite do anymore. You know, we're not out there doing blood sacrifices anymore. We don't believe in stoning people to death. The New Testament's different than the Old Testament. But we have Jesus saying the same thing. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Somebody asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he answers, quote, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Close quote. We also hear this from Latter-day Prophets. In October 2016 conference, Elder Christofferson gave a fabulous talk called Abide in My Love. And in it, he makes this beautiful observation about the love of God. And he does it by quoting President Monson, who said, quote, God's love is there for you. Whether you feel you deserve it, God's love is simply always there. Close quote. 
Next, Elder Christofferson quotes President Uchtdorf, who said, quote, God, the eternal father of the universe, loves us, his children, individually and personally. Though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, he loves us perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without compass, God's love encompasses us completely. He loves every one of us, even those who are flawed, rejected, awkward, sorrowful, broken. Close quote. Now, there are people who say, I'm not sure how God could love me, and I'm not sure quite how to love God. Well, I have a thought here. The people most of us love the most or appreciate the most or some combination are those who do something for us that we don't earn, that we don't quite deserve. Now, there are no absolutes with this because we might be very appreciative if we've gone through four years of college or six years of college or eight years, we might be very appreciative of the person who grants you that diploma or the teachers who taught you along the way, notwithstanding the fact that they were required to do that once you jump through all the hoops. But what I'm talking about here is something that is offered without a requirement. And the crux of this is why the church doesn't have a set of mandatory rules and requirements for people to get, let's say, church welfare, church help. Because once you are entitled to something, you often appreciate it less. If somebody gives you something you are not entitled to, you are so very, very appreciative And that could be something as simple as a smile, something as simple as a handshake or a help when you haven't even asked. Those are earthly examples. When you think of our Father in heaven, think of him that way in heaven, giving you over and over and over again things that you didn't earn things that are beyond what are required somehow, things that are unexpected, things that are in many ways even beyond our comprehension. That's the way to start understanding God's love and how to love him back. Because with those qualities of understanding that God loves you and provides you with things and that he always there is there and always offers his love, whether you deserve it or not, is an understanding that will foster and create love back towards God. Some of us are thwarted in loving God by ourself by our own self. One of my dear, fabulous friends, 
a Ph.D. psychologist named Lynn Johnson once told me that statistics show over and over again that people are far harder on themselves than they ever are on anyone else. It seems that most of us tend to easily forgive others for things we are unwilling to forgive with our own self. This kind of self-criticism, this kind of self-loathing, causes many people to lose hope. They might say, God doesn't love me, or I don't deserve God's love because I'm inadequate, I'm unable to overcome some sin or imperfection, I never became what I hoped or wanted to be, I procrastinate, I have some addiction, bad things happen to me even when I try to be good, I'm saddled with disability, whatever you want. You can come up with way more reasons that I could ever come up with for why God doesn't or couldn't love you. But two points here. Number one, don't be harder on yourself than you would if someone else having the same struggles that you two were to ask you whether or not God could love them. If a friend or a family member, an addict, or someone else who has a serious problem asked you, does God love you? You wouldn't even hesitate. You would say yes. So don't be harder on yourself than you would be on them. Also, don't lose hope. We read in Ether chapter 12, verse 27, that God gives all of us weakness so that we will be humble and not arrogant. And if we humble ourselves before God, then he will make those weak things be strong for us. In other words, often our weaknesses become our strength because we are humble when we come back more about God's love and how to appreciate it and return it when perhaps we don't know how or don't even realize how much God loves us. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you have a question or comment about this program or any other or general religious question, feel free to send me an email. Send it to Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com, and I will be happy to respond. Today's topic is God's love for us and how to love God back. One of the best ways to love God back is to understand that he loves us and to provide service. Obviously, there's nothing you can do directly for God to help him out. You're not going to fix his flat tire. You're not going to clean up his kitchen. He, those are things he doesn't need. There's literally nothing physically that you can do directly for him other than give him love. The other huge thing that you can do is give service and love others and your fellow man. That is why Jesus made that profound comment, 
that we are to love God and we are to love others. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you love God first and then love your fellow man, you will give service and everything else, every other requirement of the faith, every other part of religion is something that will fit under one of those two main laws, love God and love others. I want to share a couple of experiences that might help you grasp a little bit more, uh, something that I certainly at times struggle with as well, about God's love. First one is Joseph Smith history. The earliest first vision account doesn't come from the 1838 account that we have in the scriptures in the Joseph Smith history. This is one that's not part of our scriptures, summer of 1832. Joseph Smith wrote this down, quote, at about the age of 12, my mind became seriously impressed with the all-important concern for the welfare of my immortal soul, which led me to searching the scriptures, believing as I was taught that they contained the word of God, thus applying myself to them. From the age of 12, I pondered many things in my heart. My mind became exceedingly distressed for I became convicted of my sins and I felt to mourn for my own sins. Therefore, I cried unto the Lord for mercy. I'm going to jump in here for a minute. This is where we all find ourselves. We're not perfect. We've done something wrong. We're worried about our welfare in the sight of God. Is God going to accept us with all our failings? Whatever it is, procrastination, addiction, problems, whatever. Jump back to Joseph Smith's 1832 account of his first vision. So Joseph Smith is worried about his immortal soul because he's done things that he doesn't think are great. Now, you know, Joseph Smith, as a kid, didn't do anything horribly wrong. There's just, there's just no way. So this is a kid having extreme worry about probably some very minor things. But he, quote, cried unto the Lord for mercy, and the Lord heard my cry. This is, again, from the 1832 account. Quote, while in the attitude of calling upon the Lord a pillar of light above the brightness of the sun at noonday came down from above and rested upon me, and I was filled with the Spirit of God. And the Lord opened the heavens upon me, and I saw the Lord. And he spake unto me, saying, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven." And keep my commandments. And my soul was filled with love. And for many days I could rejoice with great joy. Close quote. Listen to that last sentence. 
and my soul was filled with love. He's talking about the love of God. This is the same kind of feeling of great love that people who have near-death experiences have. It's it's a similar kind of a thing. Joseph Smith was in the presence of God. What did he feel? It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't, you're going to burn up in this bright light. It was incredible, overwhelming love. And that's what other people who have experienced it find. One of the more interesting stories that I have heard about this was a dear friend of mine who I haven't talked to in years, but occasionally after she first described this experience that she had to me, we would have her come up and and share it with our um, group of people who would love to come and hear somebody's description of God or Jesus who they heard or who they um, experienced in their own near-death experience. And so this is uh, a person named Liz, and she lived um, in Pleasant Grove when she was a kid. As far as I know, she still lives in Utah County in Lehigh. And in 1987, she was just 14. She was living living at home with her family, and she had this contest with her friends. They had cut school, come home, drank a whole bunch of alcohol and done a bunch of drugs uh, and had a contest. And she won and she died on the couch and her friends were too plastered to do anything about it. And so her spirit pops up out of her body and she looks down at her body there on the couch and Right then, she somehow, as her vision was expanded uh, and she could see and hear beyond the the physical uh, closeness to the couch and the things that were right there, she could see her mother coming home early, pulling into the driveway, coming up to the front door, and her instant thought was, oh, no, my mother is going to kill me when she finds out what happened. Now, I thought that was a priceless comment. That's what kids think. But when Liz had her experience, she encountered Jesus, who told her in a nutshell that she could do better and sent her back. But the overwhelming thing that she felt despite the fact that she just basically drank and overdosed herself, was that she was loved. God loved her beyond anything that she could imagine. He didn't love what she had done. He didn't like the direction she was headed, but he loved her beyond anything that she could possibly have imagined, more than her parents had the capacity to love more than a love that she could imagine. That's the kind of love that God has for all of us and his son Jesus. And that's the kind of love that Joseph Smith experienced. So when you think about the first vision, for Joseph Smith, who had not yet founded a church or done anything else, this was not a founding concept of earth-shattering proportions for the world. As far as Joseph Smith was concerned, it was an incredible thing that allowed him 
to know which church was true and that he was forgiven of his sins. And it was an experience where he was bathed in God's love and God's light. And that is an experience that is out there and available for all of us, no matter how forlorn we may feel at any point in time. Never forget that. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.